As we dive in, uh, in the invitation to to preach in chapel or to teach this morning uh, came with a an invitation to think experientially. You know, what is it that our our hearts long for, and and how is it that our hearts are led? How do we see that formation happening as God's people? As I indicated, just even in praying, you know, sometimes we think we read the Bible. Uh, More often, my experience is that the Bible is reading me. Uh, And this is really one of those stories. I want to focus our attention this morning on a couple of things, just really two big headings. First, I want to look at David and the precarious place where the Lord's anointed in is in the fulfillment of his calling. And then secondly, I want to look at the grace that is both required and provided uh, in the fulfillment of the calling. Well, what do I mean here by the precarious place? Mentioned a couple of things. Samuel's dead. Uh, some of you recognize that it's a lonely time. Uh, when you've had a mentor, you've had an advocate, you've had somebody who's really influenced you and they pass away. Uh, and, and you, you feel the emptiness of that. Uh, sometimes you feel very alone. Maybe it's a a father or uh, a pastor or, or somebody just significant to you in business, whatever it might be. The other thing is success. I I think success leaves us precarious like a lot of things don't. Uh, David has had some success. This, of course, is following his uh, defeat of Goliath and the, the songs have gone out. You know, Saul has killed his thousands, David's his tens of thousands. Sometimes you can listen to your own press clippings, as it were, and uh, that can put you on very thin ice. As I mentioned, this particular chapter is surrounded by these two places where, where David's character shows through very strongly. But that doesn't necessarily mean, and our successes don't indicate, that we have it all together. And and in fact, if we think we do, I think the New Testament has something to say about this. You know, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And, And David is on the precipice of a very bad fall here. How does this happen? Well, you see the story. Um, I think, trust, many of you are familiar with this story. We read the the first part of it. Uh, David and his men, they're in the wilderness. They're a mercenary gang. There's about 600 guys. Uh, They're protecting Nabal, who's a very wealthy landowner. He has all these sheep. You know, all of those numbers there indicate his prosperity. They're helping to protect him, but they also need to live. And so they go to Nabal at the sheep shearing time, which is a time time of festival, uh, a time of prosperity, and they say, hey, can you share with us a little bit of, of what you are, are eating here? Because, you know, we've been doing this service for you, and, and we need to live all of that. 
Nabal is a fool. I don't have a lot of time to go into uh, Nabal and his foolishness. Later on in the passage, uh, Abigail will say Nabal is as his name is. His name means fool. Not exactly sure what his parents were thinking uh, when they named him that. Uh, it may have been a nickname that he acquired along the way, um, but uh, he, he is a, a personification of biblical folly. Uh, you know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And Nabal does that. You see some of the overlap between Luke 12, where you see the, the rich man who is also a fool building more barns and, and claiming all these things for himself. And then he, he dies and the Lord comes to him and say, you fool, you know, tonight your life will be required of you. So Nabal fits that character very well. His servants know it. His wife knows it. Everybody knows it. And David is experiencing it. And, and what happens here is, is David is slighted by the words of Nabal. Nabal says, who is David? And, and who are these men? There's a lot of people, a lot of servants breaking away from their master these days. Why should I give anything to David? Sometimes I'm surprised by the smallness of sin. What do I mean by that? Uh, you know, we, we have all of the big categories of sin. We have sexual failings. We have, uh, you know, big um, uh, financial larcenies. Uh, we have all of these things, particularly when we talk about the ministry. But the smallness of sin comes just at these insults, these slights, and the anger that can rise within you. Uh, or maybe I'll just speak first person, the anger that can rise in me. Uh, when, when these types of things happen, it can happen in the home. It can happen in the church context. It can happen, you know, with a fellow student, a neighbor, something at the grocery store. And we see sort of this pattern here with David. Now, there was a sense of justice. You know, you could make the case that, you know, a, a general sort of justice demanded that Nabal give something to David. And, and so you could maybe look at the, the measure of response that David has planned uh, as being sort of in line with that. But even that, uh, I mean, David's ready to do genocide here. He's ready to wipe out Nabal and every single member of his household. Uh, Again, it's crazy because David was Saul, Saul seeking his life, and David will spare his life. But here Nabal says, who is David? And David's ready to start a war. David's ready to kill an entire clan of people. Proverbs says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit or gives full vent to his anger. Nabal and David are, are somewhat contrasted here, but not necessarily in a favorable way for David. David is walking down the same path that Nabal is on. He is about to be as much of a fool as Nabal is if something doesn't intervene. Why is this? Well, we don't know fully. 
But I want to suggest to you that David may have some things going on underneath uh, that this slight really triggers, uh, really picks at. If you remember, if you go back to David's anointing, David is the eighth son. Remember, Samuel comes to David's place and he says, okay, gather all the boys. One of them is going to be anointed. And Jesse, who incidentally is is not a prominent clan. There's a contrast between David and Saul. Saul comes from a prominent clan, very wealthy. David, you know, Saul doesn't even know, like, who's Jesse? Who's his son? This is, you know, some of that language there. So not a prominent clan. But Samuel comes to Jesse, tells him to get the boys together. He gets seven of the boys, and it's, you know, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. And finally, Samuel has to say, is, is there anybody else? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, there's, there's David, the, the youngest. And I think if I'm not mistaken, the actual Hebrew is he's the runt. You know, he's the little guy. He's out in the fields with the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him. You know, we're not going to sit down until he comes. And sure enough, that's the one that the Lord anoints. Later on in 1 Samuel 17, can't remember exactly what verse it is, you have the situation where David is sent to the front lines to bring the meat and cheese to the brothers who are fighting. And David's like, what? what's going on here with, with Goliath? I, I will go fight him. And if you remember, Eliab at that point, says, uh, you know, what, what are you doing? What, what kind of things are you saying here? And David says, what? what? What's wrong this time? He specifically says, you know, it was but a word, but Eliab was angry with him and belittled him. And you begin to get the sense that, that this is David's experience, not unlike Joseph, uh, where there is a family where he is not prominent, he is not favored. In fact, he says in Psalm 27, verse 10, he says, my father and my mother have rejected me, but the Lord is my stronghold. I know that we always think about David in this way, but I leave it to you for your examination. I do know that experientially, many, many, many people walk into this world with the kind of wounds from their childhood that can be triggered at a slight like Nabal gives David. And I know uh, that a lot of people go into ministry with those same wounds that can be triggered at a slight, like Nabal gave David. And this is where I think part of us has to step back and say, we are all in a precarious position. Because we can can do 95% of the things well. And if we are not able to withstand, you know, the types of slights that will surely come and our heart is uh, a conflagration into anger. We give full vent to our spirit. You can undo a whole life of good ministry. It's pretty sobering to think about. 
Uh, again, I, I speak to you very first person. I know these things to be true in my own heart. By God's grace, uh, you know, there has been preservation. Uh, by God's grace, uh, we, we repent and, and we go forward and we make amends. But, but there is wisdom in recognizing that, that we are not as strong as we think we are. Uh, there is wisdom in recognizing that sometimes there is but a step between nobility and folly. I heard recently, um, the hard skills will get you hired. The soft skills will get you fired. Uh, you know, you might have all of the degrees. You, you might be, you know, a master pulpiteer. You, you might be able to do all of these things. But if you, if you don't have the, the kind of emotional intelligence to handle the slights that are going to come your way, you, you may be out of a job. You may be out of a calling. Uh, and this is the picture that we get here in, in David, in David's life, the life of the anointed. But the story doesn't end there. Hallelujah. It, it goes on. We'll pick it up in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off uh, the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be and let thy handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thy handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of uh, this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of thy Lord, whom thou didst send. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as my... And as uh, thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord has withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it ever even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God and the souls of thine enemies. Them shall he sling out as of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee and shall appoint thee ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. 
And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord of God of Israel liveth, which has kept me back from hurting thee, except thou had hasted and come to meetly meet me, surely there had not left been left unto Nabal by morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. David's about to be met by a tsunami. Not the kind of tsunami that we normally think of, but a tsunami of, of wisdom, of nobility, of beauty, of grace, and her name is Abigail. And, and she is exactly the one that David needs in this moment. David is on a very precarious path, as we've already observed. What, what is going to draw him back? What is going to draw us back uh, when we find ourselves in this particular, per, uh, particular place? Again, speaking just from my own experience, so often it's a woman. Uh, it's my wife. Uh, she is incredible, amazing, and, and saves me so often. But, but here, Abigail comes to David. I believe, as a personification of lady wisdom. You know, you have Nabal folly. You have Abigail wisdom. Uh, she is the one that intervenes. Sometimes uh, you, you may remember that when people read Proverbs 31, they, they oftentimes will see Abigail in there. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. She is the personification of lady wisdom. What, what is it that characterizes it for her? Say three things really quickly. You know, one, well, actually I might say four things. Uh, one is she is prepared. Uh, if you read through the passage, and I encourage you to go back and read it again, there, there's a lot of haste being made. She made haste to come. She gives an incredible speech. Uh, it's very, very wise, very filled with things, but she didn't have time to sit down and write this out. She didn't have time to study the situation, exegete the text, all of those different things. She's giving this speech out of her character. And, you know, that's just something we keep in mind when, when crisis comes upon us, what is in us is what comes out. And, and what is in Abigail is, is this wisdom. And this wisdom is honest. Like she, she assesses the situation. She knows that Nabal is worthless. He's the son of Belial. She knows that David is the Lord's anointed. She, she is able to perceive the, the truth of the situation and, and move forward in an appropriate manner. So she, she has an honesty. She doesn't even go to Nabal. At this point, she knows like that, that's a sunk cause. Uh, I, I need to go in this particular uh, way. She's not only honest, though, but she's humble. Uh, notice how she comes and how she speaks to David. She's very deferential to him. She's recognizing the Lord's anointing on him. Fourteen times in the text, she calls him my Lord. And, and this is, again, 
a, a wise character. Uh, she's honest. She's humble. Uh, she is uh, generous. Part of this uh, uh, humility in terms of her bringing this gift and seeking to make uh, awareness, seeking to make uh, restitution for the failures of her of her uh, husband Nabal. She is honest. She's humble. And she is, one more thing, i got to find it. It starts with an H. It's a problem of not using your notes. Uh, you can never find them when you need them. Uh, she's hopeful. Uh, I love how Abigail speaks here just about things. I can't remember what verse it is, but she says, Thanks be to God who has saved you from avenging yourself today. Notice how she speaks in the past tense there. Uh, it's very much uncertain at this point, but she has hope and she has hope for what God is going to continue to do in David's life, that he is going to establish the kingdom, that he is going to keep you bundled in the hand of God, in the land of the living. She, she is able to see forward and bring that hope into the present. And this is so much what characterizes wisdom. I think about this from time to time as engaging in congregants' life. You know, what does it mean to be honest, to be humble, to be hopeful, uh, to characterize wisdom as Abigail does? But here's the thing. You know, the Bible is not simply, especially when we come to these Old Testament passages, it's not simply be like or don't be like. It's not don't be like Nabal or don't be like David in this particular situation. Be like Abigail. Those are part of it. But if we stop there, I think we miss the deeper, uh, the deeper love story that is here. Cause it is a love story. Uh, you do see that David eventually after Nabal dies, the Lord deals with him. David sends for Abigail and they, you know, get married happily ever after in that sense. But what's the love it's the love that is uh, that we are invited into here. Cranmer says, uh, "What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies." So, above all else, Proverbs says, "Guard your heart." Because out of it flow the issues of life. And there is a love that is here that is being enjoined on us. Do you see it? Abigail comes to David, humble, and riding on a donkey. Abigail comes to David bearing gifts that will preserve him, that will lead him into his rightful kingdom. Abigail comes to David saying, let the blame fall on me and me alone. Abigail is, is one of the clearest pictures that we have here of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry to us. He's the one that comes to us in our moment, um, the moment where we could fall in our precarious moments. And he says, I'm here for you. Let the blame fall on me. I am the one who is offering you wisdom. You know, when you come to Proverbs 31, 
it's, it's always an interesting, how, how do you interpret Proverbs 31? You know, so much of Proverbs is a book for young men, uh, you know, just about wisdom and how do you get it? Proverbs 4, we're told to get wisdom, though it costs you all you have is how the NIV translates it. I think the King James translates this, Proverbs 4, 7, it says, get wisdom with all you're getting, uh, something like that. There's just this selling it out to wisdom. But then you come to Proverbs 31, and one of the ways it's been helpful to me in thinking about it is it's not just a word for the woman, women. You know, it's been all men up until this point. Now you come to Proverbs 31, it's a word for the woman. Proverbs 31 is the culmination of what we're being told to get. We're being told to marry Lady Wisdom. If you read Proverbs 31, you're like, who can do this? You know, who is sufficient for these things? Who can, you know, go out and buy fields and spin clothes, not only for her family, but for everybody else? Who is it that, that holds the purple, you know, the, the royalty, the deity, you know, all of these things. If you read Proverbs 31, you realize like nobody can measure up to that standard except the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the message of Proverbs and I think the message of this passage here is that there is one who is worthy of your heart's love. And it is the Lord Jesus who comes humbly riding on a donkey who says, let the blame fall on me. And when we see that, what are we supposed to do? The same thing that David does. You know, when the ball is dead, uh, David sends for Abigail and he says, be my wife. And, and we are invited to, to marry, to be a spouse with the Lord. He is the great bridegroom. We are his bride. This is a love story after all. The love story of a God and his people. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the way that it does read us. We see ourselves. Uh, we see your grace. We see your mercy. Lord, we pray that you would help us. I, I pray for particularly brothers, sisters that are with us today, uh, whether it be here in, in their school situation or be in a ministry situation or a family situation that find themselves out on the precipice. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that they would be met with grace, that there would be a humble reception, even as David uh, receives what Abigail brings him and steps back from the, the treacherous path that he was on. Lord, I pray that, that we might see the grace that you offer us. But above all, Lord, we, we pray that on this day that is so many things on so many different calendars, that you would ravish our hearts and, and that we would be more and more in love with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.